a great, great problem to have, though, right? Yeah. Uh, they, as uh, I was trained as a pastor to 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 uh, always mix things up, at least every once in a while, to mix things up. And so I thought, well, today let's mix some things up. Today's a very special day for our church family. Today we begin the nomination process for our 2022 leadership, our elders and deacons. That nomination process starts today. And that's a special moment in the life of a church, particularly our church. And so I want to give it the weight of, of its seriousness by mixing it up a little bit. So today we're unplugged. Today it's going to be me, a Bible, and you. No slides, just reading lots of scripture together, like we're in a conversation at a coffee shop. Uh, or sitting down at dinner, and we're walking through passages of Scripture. No quotes from scholars, no amazing summary on the screen, just me, a Bible, and you. And hopefully, a Bible for you too. So we're going to start in the book of First Peter, but we're going to start somewhere a little different than where we've been. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to it. You can open your phone and click to it. It's just going to be us. Me, you, and the Scriptures. And I have not bookmarked any of these. It's going to take me just as long as it takes you to turn to them. Okay? You might see that I might struggle at times to figure out where am I. Here we are. 1 Peter chapter 5. Now, there are Bibles in the pews in front of you, and if you're using that Bible, that's an older version of the International New International Version. This is the 2011. The pews and the, the Bibles in the back of the pews are from 1984. But in the Scriptures we are dealing with, there is very little difference in the passages. It's going to be very similar. So we pick up 1 Peter chapter 5. We'll pick up with verse 1. So come along with me. To the elders... To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder, a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be. Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Not lording over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. Verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. So there will be a point in our series through First Peter where we'll really dig on these verses and and you might say we'll exegete them. We will we'll dig inside of them and see what each sentence is trying to tell us. But here I want to know just a few big things. Peter here now talks to the elders. In the Greek, the word can also be translated bishop or pastor. Here, elder. So it's talking to the leaders of these Christians. And he tells them a, a couple big things. He says, you watch over. So you care for those that God has put under your care. You watch over them. So that means you actually got to know them. You have to know their names. You have to know what's going on in their lives. You watch over them. You care for them. You're going to protect them. That's one thing an elder does very clearly. The second thing is 
you elders have to be examples. So you you have to live the kind of life that you would want others to follow. It's very important that you actually live out what you say you believe. You have to have a life that matches your message. You care for them. And you be an example. These are two really big things for the elders. Now, what strikes me is that Peter here actually calls himself an elder. He sees himself as having a role of watching over and protecting these Christians. That part of what he's doing in the letter is pastoring them. But interestingly, Peter does not see himself as the elder. He is a fellow elder. Christ is the chief elder, the chief shepherd. And so the elders follow Christ, and then the people follow the elders who are following Christ. It's somewhat like Paul when he said, you follow me like I follow Christ. The elders have a very serious role in the maturing and the growing of people's faith in local churches. This is a very serious call. Now, in the early church, this was a really big deal because in the early church, in the ancient Roman world, as the message of Jesus is going out, what you have is these churches, people coming to Jesus, God calling people to faith, and they're beginning to gather together in homes, and, and, and there'd be several homes in one city, and immediately as these churches are being established, one of the first things that happens is that elders are selected. Like, this is a key part of the gospel moving into the ancient world all the way into our day, elders are a very key part of Christianity moving forward. I just want you to see an example of that. So we're going to turn to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And we're going to pick up, we'll pick up with verse 21. If you have that Bible in the front of the pew, it's page 843. 843. Pick up with verse 21. This is the first missionary journey. So Paul and Barnabas, they've just they've, they've moved throughout what is now modern-day Turkey, and they've been preaching the gospel. Often they've been persecuted. And now they're making their way back through some of those same cities where people had become Christians, where God had called them, granted them repentance. Verse 21. They preached the gospel in that city and they won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. So now you have... You have the Paul and Barnabas going back through these churches. The first, some of the first churches established in the Gentile world. You and I being Gentiles, this is a, a significant thing. And what's what's the first thing they're doing as they walk back through? They're identifying people, identifying people in the midst of these new Christians, Christians that had put their faith in Christ. So Christ is number one for these men, and they're identifying them. They they're praying and they're fasting. God, show us. Show us what men you would have to help protect this flock, this group of Christians. And what they do? They appointed them. They selected them. This was a key moment for these churches. 
It is likely these churches would not have moved forward unless there was this group of men that God had put forward that would have guided them, protected them, been able to teach them, but also protect them from false doctrine. This is a really key moment. And what's interesting to me is this with prayer and fasting. This isn't just some flippant decision like, man, I really like Fred. Like, Fred's a good guy. Fred and I, we like the same football team. Let's make him an elder. This isn't that kind of thing. It's not some deep affinity. It is with prayer and fasting. There's a seriousness here because these men will help lead and guide and help the maturing of faith into eternal salvation. It's a really big thing. Prayer and fasting. It's a serious thing. So we don't take this flippantly. It's not just you're a man, you can be an elder. No. Prayer and fasting. Serious thing here. It's one of the first things happening. It gets us to where we are today. Praise the Lord that these churches were being led by men that were appointed after prayer and fasting from Paul and Barnabas. And they helped lead these churches on into maturity. Yes, I just want to show you another place, Titus. It's one of Paul's letters to one, of, uh, one young preacher, Titus. So if you're flipping through, you're going to keep moving. It's like you go through Galatians and Ephesians and you keep moving. Go through the Thessalonian letters and you're going to then hit... 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, then you'll hit Titus. Side note, our children, throughout our children's program, they're learning the books of the Bible. And Ava is really dedicated to this. Every night she brings me her list. And we are currently uh, at Ephesians. Ephesians. And it is hilarious to hear her say Corinthians. But whoever will judge her, like whoever will hear her read the list, it is Corinthians. When we get to when she gets to it, um, it sounds like she's speaking in tongues, but I know it's Corinthians. Uh, but it, how wonderful look, teaching these young people how to navigate the scriptures. Uh, just again, side note. Uh, Titus one, look at verse five. If you're in that pew, it's in the back of the, uh, the Bibles in the back of the pew. It's page nine oh eight. Verse five. The reason I left you in Crete, he's talking to Titus, I left you in this place, I left you on this island. The reason I left you was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. Now you would think that people coming to Jesus would be kind of the end. Like, that's great, they came to Jesus, they're now going to start gathering, they'll take communion together, we're done, put the stamp on it. Paul says it's unfinished until you appoint elders. Because elders are the long game. They're the ones that will continue to teach, guide, protect, watch over that group of Christians. That's how they get to maturity. It was unfinished. And the reason he left them there wasn't so he could do Bible studies day in and day out. The reason he left Titus and Crete was to take care of what was unfinished to appoint elders. It's that serious. So who were these men? Who are these men that are supposed to lead and guide these groups of Christians? Check out verse 6. Just keep coming with me. Verse 6. An elder must be blameless, faithful to his wife, a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. Since an overseer ma manages God's household, he must be blameless, not overbearing, 
Not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness. Not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. Now, there's a lot of debate on exactly what's going on on these lists. But most scholars will, 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 will all agree that the takeaway is not that every, every bullet point has to be marked. It is that these are men of character. Because Paul's list in 1 Timothy doesn't, doesn't match the Titus list exactly. Now, we need to take all of these points seriously. They're here for a reason. They're inspired. But my point is that in, for this message, what I don't want to do is descend into every detail. There will be a time for that. But here I want to know these are men of character. These are men who have integrity. Men who don't say one thing over here and go do another thing. They're not a man who prays an eloquent prayer and then is at the bar getting drunk every other night of the week. These are men who have integrity. They're not men who come and teach Scriptures to us and then have extramarital affairs with their computer screen or with real women. These are not that kind of men. These are men with integrity. That's what we're dealing with here. Now, the other thing Paul says, and I just want to note it, and I'm going to just, just quickly, I'll just do this. You can do it if you want. It's just it's a couple books back. 1 Timothy 3.6. He makes this other note that I think is important. He says this. 1 Timothy 3.6. I don't have the page number for you right now for, uh, for the Bible in the back of the pew. Just go on an adventure. Just put back some. Verse 6. He must not be a recent convert. Or he may be conceited and fall into the same judgment as the devil. These are not men who just were swept into the faith and next week we make them elders because they're charismatic and they're popular in the community. These are men who have been in the faith for some time. Now the first Christians, well, they, were not, they had not been in the faith for decades. But in our day, we want men to lead us who have been in the faith and shown stamina, endurance, and patience, and love for many years. We don't want recent converts. Because with the eldership comes authority. It's not authority that you lord over somebody. It's authority that you use to serve. It's in the way of Jesus. But you don't want someone who gets some authority, thinks they're somebody, and then they grow in their arrogance. And they use their power for ill-gotten gain. That's not the kind of men we want. So Paul's very clear, even in the early church, these are not recent converts. Okay. So I'll go back to Titus 1. There's this, there's this one more thing. There's one more thing he says to Titus. It's real important for us too. Verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. This is key for us. We just don't have a group of elders who make decisions based on some type of worldly wisdom. These are elders that are rooted on God's inerrant Word. It is, they are rooted on the trustworthy message. What message? The message that God saw fit to, in His inspiration, have recorded for us and brought down through the centuries to us in the Scriptures. The Bibles we hold or we click on on our phones. It's those Scriptures. 
So these are men who stand on God's Word, not just on their own wisdom. They stand on God's Word. They stand on the Gospel. And they do two things with it. They encourage others. So they use God's Word to teach and encourage others. They just don't bring their own wisdom and their own charisma. They know God's Word. And so they teach it. They encourage with it. They bring God's Word, which is life, to His people. And then they refute that which is false. There are many things in our world, even in our day, that are not of Christ. And the elders stand as a defense against that which would lead us astray. The elders do that. Very important. And so we don't take it, we don't, it's, we're, not, we're not flippant with the kind of men we put in this position. They guard the faith. They refute what is not of sound doctrine. What's sound doctrine? It's what's found in the pages of Scripture. These are the kind of men that God would put forward as those that would lead us. Alright. Well, that's a lot there. There's, man, there's a lot there. And, and we should just make mention that this actually worked out in real life among the early church. I want to give you one example. It's Acts chapter 20. I just want to give you an example of what this actually looked like on the ground. Because this is all, at this point, um, we really are just seeing, um, we're just seeing at this point qualifications. We're seeing directions and instructions. But what, what did it look like for a group of elders? We'll take a few examples. We'll look first at Acts 20. So Acts chapter 20, Paul is making his way to Jerusalem. And he's going to meet with the elders in uh, from the Ephesian church for the last time. Because he's pretty sure he's not coming back. And so he has something he has to say to those elders. So this isn't just like, this isn't just some letter written at a distance. These are the words of Paul to a group of men that he's going to cry with. A, a group of men that he has spent a lot of time with. This will be the last time he sees them. So this isn't just something in the abstract. These were real people. They had names. And he stands before them and says, this is the last thing I want to tell you before I go on. And no, I probably won't see you again. Acts chapter 20, we'll pick up with verse 17. If you have that Bible, uh, the Pew Bible, it's page uh, 849, 849, verse 17. From Miletus, Paul went to Ephesus for the elders, uh, uh, sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. And when they arrived, he said to them, now he's going to say a lot of things. I want to drop to verse 28. This is a long speech. Verse 28, keep watch, keep watch over yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds, shepherds of the church of God, which He bought with His own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw, draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And now I commit you to God and to the Word of His grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. His last words to them are, you watch your life and you guard this flock. Because wolves are coming. Wolves are coming. And that same message is true today. To our elders, you watch your lives 
and you guard the flock. Wolves are here. I'm not saying here among us, but they are definitely in our world. And they are making their way into the church. That's what Paul says to the elders. Now, elders can't do everything. You can't expect the elders to do everything in the church. And so, God in His wisdom, and it quickly it quickly emerged in the early church, that you were going to have to have some other people in leadership to help with some other things, particularly logistical matters and material matters. Just literally serving and helping the material needs of the church. Those people will be called deacons. Most scholars think that the story in Acts chapter 6 is the first reference to deacons because of the word used in the passage to serving. Although the word deacon is not there, again, most think that this is, this is the first time we see the appointment of deacons. So let's go there. Acts 6, again, another real-life example of what this was actually happening in the early church. Acts chapter 6, were page 835. 835, if you have the Pew Bible. We'll pick up with verse 1. In those days, a number of disciples were increasing, and the Hellenistic Jews, these are Jews that spoke Greek. So think of it as, as if half of you spoke Spanish, and the other half spoke English. Okay? There'd be a, there'd be a language divide here. Alright? And probably some culture divide. That's what's happening here. There's a Hellenistic Jews. They speak Greek. And the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of bread. It'd be as if we kept serving the English-speaking widows among this side and, and left out all the Spanish-speaking widows on this side. It'd be a problem. That's what's happening. There's this division happening among the church. So here's what happened. So verse 2, so the twelve gathered all the disciples together and they said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Now I want you to understand this is not because they were beneath serving at tables. It's because there was so much work to be done they could only do so much. So when you think about what God is doing through the apostles, those that are overseeing Churches and establishing and helping people's faith grow. If you think about if you think about the where they spend their time, their time is best spent in the teaching of God's word and prayer, not in making sure every person has enough food. That's what's happening here. They're not here. This is not some arrogant pronouncement that I'm better than you. It's just a matter of where do you use your time. We'll pick up verse three. Brothers and sisters, choose even seven men. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom, and we will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. Start to verse 6. They pick several men. And verse 6 says, They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So there were men chosen to help take care of logistical things, material things, help serve and take care of the people, really even their material needs. It could be translated, it could also work out in our day just fixing things. Helping out with the building, serving food for the youth. There are a whole host of things that go along with just the logistical and material needs of a local congregation. This is what's happening here. And then Paul, later on in his life, will write a list of qualifications for these deacons. Let's take a look. I'm going to acknowledge as we turn to First Peter, uh, First Timothy, First Timothy chapter 3. I want to acknowledge, although I'm not stepping here, that there is debate about the role of women as deaconesses. 
in the Scriptures. And it's not clear-cut. We'll talk about that in a second. But I want you to know that for us here at our church, we have men as deacons. Now, we may have a fuller conversation one day. But I want you to know that's where we sit now. But we're going to read a passage where there's some debate on that. We won't step in it. That's not the purpose of today. But I feel like I, we need to acknowledge because I'm going to pass right over that verse. So if you come to me and say, you didn't read verse 11, I'm going to say, do you remember what I said? That. All right. Because the Greek, the Greek is not, is not uh, the Greek has some, um, some flexibility in it. But let's read. Verse 8. In the same way, deacons. This is 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, this is page 904 in the Pew Bible. In the same way, deacons are to be worth, worthy of respect, sincere, not indulging in much wine, not pursuing dishonest gain. They must keep hold of the deep truths of the faith which, with a clear conscience. They must first be tested. And then if there is nothing against them, let them serve as deacons. Verse 12. A deacon must be faithful to his wife, must manage his children and his household well. Those who have served well gain an excellent standing and great assurance in their faith in Christ Jesus. Again, these are men who have character. These are not men who say one thing and do one thing on Sunday and then live a completely different way outside of Sunday. These are men who have character and integrity. Men that God is raising up. That's what we're talking about right here. Okay? Now, the one thing the deacons are not called to do, which Paul calls them to do, if you look up in verse 2, same chapter, verse 2, the elders, now the overseers to be above reproach, faithful to his wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. That teaching part is not included in the qualifications of a deacon. Not that a deacon can't teach. But Paul does not call a deacon to teach. They were to be servants. Servants in all kinds of means. But they're men, first and foremost, of character. So that's a lot of, that's a lot of Bible. My goal today is simply to just immerse you, to baptize you in all of these passages. Just so you have the exposure of seeing what the Scriptures are saying about elders and deacons. Now, over the centuries, churches have determined different ways of organizing their church leadership. The Roman Catholic Church does it a very different way than the Methodists. And the Methodists do it very different than the Presbyterians. And the Presbyterians do it different than the Baptists. Here, in, at East 10th Street, we are a Christian church. a Christian church, Church of Christ. And what we do here, in our church family, is we have elders and deacons. And they serve on a church board. And that church board has the authority to make decisions. And the elders, in the end, have final say on such important things like personnel. And there are some other things, but the elders have the call there. So, that's how we organize. It's not the only way to organize, but we take very seriously. And the thing that is consistent, that every church is taking seriously through the ages, is that leaders of God's people have integrity and character. And they love Jesus first and foremost. The gospel is at the center, and then everything else goes with it. We have that kind of leadership. That's key. That's key. All right. So that's elders and deacons. At least a quick flyby. Now what about some application? That first one. I see some of you looking at the screen. I know. I'm like, okay. First thing. 
we must pray for our leaders. And I mean that. Like, right here at East 10th Street, we need to pray for our leadership. I pray regularly for them. God, help them, protect them, guide them. Bring exposed sin where sin needs to be exposed. Draw them closer to your son. Just regularly pray for them. And then another thing we do is that we submit to them. Now, I know that seems like a really tough word for us in our modern context, like submit. Who am I? I have my own rights. I won't submit to anybody. Submission is part of the kingdom of God. Because in the kingdom of God, as in all of life, there is a hierarchy of authority. There just is. Now, in our modern world, we want to think we're the masters of our own ship. And no one's going to tell us what to do. That's not the way God's universe works. There is a creator and there's a creation. And the creation has a hierarchy. And submission is, is meant to be joyful. You know one of the worst things you can do for a child? Give them everything. Leave them boundaryless. We need boundaries. And leadership helps gives us boundaries and give us direction, and we need that. Submission is actually a joyful thing. Take a look. I just want you to know I'm not just making this up. Hebrews. So just if you're in First Peter, you just keep coming on over just a couple books. Hebrews chapter 13. Just want you to see this is where the Hebrew writer's making some application uh, himself. And here's what he says. Verse 17. If you have that pew Bible, this is page 918. It says this. Have confidence in your leaders. Submit to their authority. Because they keep watch over you as those who must give an account. Do this so their work will be a joy, not a burden. For that would be of no benefit to you. So we submit to our leaders. And one of the ways that works out for us is, is that when our leaders make decisions, and this particularly happened during COVID, what a most difficult time to walk through, uh, to walk through life as part of a church family when leadership is making decisions that not everyone agreed with. Here's the thing you don't do. You don't go around in creating the rumor mill or, back, or, or backbiting behind their backs. We submit to the decisions and we move forward. What I love is that in this church, not everyone agrees. I know that. I've seen your surveys when we do them. None of, we, no one can agree on hardly anything. But when the elders came together and the board with the deacons came together, decisions were made and we moved forward. And this church did not split. Praise God for that. That's part of submitting. And isn't it a joy to be part of a church that's not splitting? Yes. Yes, it's very much a joy. To not be part of a church split. So we submit to our leadership. Alright, here's another application. It's for you leaders. It's for you leaders. Deacons and elders and maybe future leaders. Here's this other thing. Watch your life. Because you are called to watch over God's people. Verse 7. So I'm just right here in, in, in Hebrews 13. I'm just going up to verse 7. He says this. Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. How's that land for you, you leaders? If I walked with you, do you want me imitating you? Now, I'm not a deacon or an elder, but I also understand I'm part of the leadership here. That's a really... That's a scary question. Do I want you following me when I'm throwing a temper tantrum, getting mad at Tess for something that she actually didn't do? Do I want you following me? No. That's a tough one. 
Leaders, this is your call, that you live the kind of life that you would have others imitate. And if that causes a little trembling, good. A little fear is good inside the bones of a leader. People are watching you. So that's your call. So leaders, your application is watch your life. Now let's take a next step. Now what I'm going to do is I want to set the next step up. And then I'm going to deliver the next step. And we're going to start delivering it at a particular time every day this week. I'm so excited. Right on your phone if you're subscribed to our text messaging service. Some of you are like, what's this text messaging service? But man, if they're sending texts every day, I'm glad I'm not a part of it. But if you want to be, it'd be really great for you. All right, let me set it up. Let me set up the next step by going back into the Old Testament and telling you how important the shepherds of Israel were. I want you to see what happens when they go wayward. Go to Jeremiah chapter 23. I'm going to sit down for this one, y'all, because uh, it's going to get personal. Jeremiah 23. So we're going into the Old Testament. About halfway through the Bible, kind of. Jeremiah 23. If you have the Pew Bible, it is page 598. Here God speaks to the shepherds. These are the leaders of Israel. These are, the, these are functionally the elders and the deacons of, of the Israelites. Here's what God says to them. Woe, verse 1, chapter 23. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock driven them away and have bestowed care, not bestowed care on them. I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. You had a wayward group of leaders and the aftermath of that waywardness was a group of people that left the Lord their God. And in the end, God punishes the people and He punishes the leaders. The shepherds, the shepherds, a group of men who were unanchored. They had left the God of Israel. They were no longer rooted in His Word. Their lives were full of idolatry. They led the people astray. That can happen to any group of Christians. When the leaders go wayward, the people will usually follow. So what will God do with that? Well, He told he told Jeremiah this particular thing. Now, Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, the book of Jeremiah is actually not written in chronological order. It actually jumps around in the chronology. So when I tell you where we're going, you'll say, but that's backwards. Well, the book of Jeremiah is not chronological. Jeremiah 3. Jeremiah 3. See, I just turned Isaiah, y'all. So, Jeremiah 3. Verse 15. Jeremiah 3, verse 15. The Pew Bible is page 579. Here's what God says He'll do about these wayward shepherds. What He'll do about His people. What's He going to do? Verse 15. Then, the day's going to come. Then, I will give you shepherds after My own heart who will lead you with knowledge and understanding. You know what my next step is for us? It's something I've been doing for weeks now after I came across this verse and my reading. Our next step is to pray Jeremiah 3.15. And what I do is I put a reminder on my phone at 3.15. 
And literally, when the reminder comes up, it is, it is Jeremiah 3.15. Like, it comes up in the reminder. And I just say, Lord... Give us shepherds at East Tenth after your own heart who will lead us with knowledge and understanding. I, I, I pray it every day, 3.15. Now, sometimes I'm driving, so we'll get it you know, a, bit, a little bit later. But the point is, at 3.15, I'm praying, God, give us leaders after your heart who will lead us in knowledge and understanding. So here's where this gets personal. I love y'all. I really do. But I'll tell you the number one reason why we're here at East 10th Street. Because of the elders. You know the thing Tess says? Tess says that worries her the most. What will happen after this group of elders die? I'm just, it's Lord Terry. This is where you're going. Okay. All right. Okay. Because Tess and I have both seen churches where the leadership has gone wayward and the whole church has gone the same. And the men we have now are men who lead with wisdom. They lead with care. Now, they're not perfect. Listen, who thinks George is perfect? We don't think George is perfect. No one thinks. Jenny definitely doesn't think George is perfect. James is wondering if I'm going to say anything about him, but you're closer. But, but in all seriousness, the day's going to come where Terry and George and James and S.D. and Larry aren't going to be our elders. Jay Jones, one of our great elders, just passed away. These men, if the Lord tarries, will pass away. I was just talking to one of these elders recently. And this, this elder said his number one concern is in years past, there's always been a group of deacons. I mean, a great group of deacons. And we got some good deacons. But right now, we need young men. We need young men who know God, whose heart is pursuing Jesus. And I'm not just talking to you, young men. I might be talking about men God's going to be bringing into this church too. We need strong men in this church. And I'm not saying anything to disparage the women. But do you know what I see most often, not just in this church, but in other churches? Do you know who I see most active in the church? The women. We need you men. We need, we need men who love Jesus. I'm not talking about we need men who love their guns and go out and hunt and shoot things. That's fine and good. You have your gun and you shoot things. But masculinity in the way of Christ is a man who loves Jesus and can hold authority with wisdom. That's the kind of man we're talking about. So I am praying for men in this church. That's what I'm praying for. If you had seen me 15 years ago, I would have needed someone to say that to me. Because I was not on the, I, my trajectory was not that kind of man. We need you. We need your leadership. And you may not be there right now, but when God is moving you, do not put up your hand and tell Him, stop directing. Go where He's leading you. This church will not be here in 20 years if God does not raise up the next group, the next group of elders. That's reality. So why is this so personal for me? 
because today we start nominating leaders. And I don't think this problem gets solved today. But what I'm asking you to do is to take seriously your role as people in this church to nominate men who carry the kind of character that we see in the Scriptures. We don't nominate perfect people, but we do nominate people who love Jesus and are reflecting that. And women, we need you praying for these men as well. And let me be very clear, you're not, this is not a matter of being subservient. You women are valuable. You're just as valuable as the men. We're talking about roles here, and we're not talking about, we're not talking about being under the foot of a man. We are talking about leaders that can guide with wisdom. And so we need you. So please, when you do your nomination, will you please not go through the directory? And look and find pictures of people that look like males and write their names down because they're males and we need men. Don't be flippant about this. Write people down to carry the character that you see. We need that. We need that. And in the end, I'm just so audacious to think that God's going to hear our prayers. So you, young men, may be saying, not me. You don't know me. You don't know my life. There's no way I can be a leader. My prayer is going to beat your your stubbornness. That's what I say. My Jeremiah 3.15 is going to beat your stubbornness. That's what I'm saying. So you be stubborn, and I'll pray through your stubbornness. At least that's what I'm, I'm praying to God for. That's my prayer. You be what you're going to be. And I will pray against you. Because I'm for you. Now please, young men, whoever's in this room, there will be some watching. Would you please just start in your home? Just be good dads. It's a great place to start. Be a good dad. Love your family. And then you move on to the next things. Alright, let me pray for you. Father, in my long-winded, unplugged message, do something with it that only you can do. Now go forward with this. Take your word and multiply it as you've done through the centuries. And would you take this and raise up leaders in our church family? I don't just mean for 2022. I mean for 2032 and 2042. Bring up a group of leaders that can hold authority with wisdom who are pursuing your heart. Would you hear our prayers? And would our prayers break through any stubbornness or arrogance or apathy that sits among us? I hope it would be our prayer, at least for every man sitting here, that that prayer starts with themselves. Really, help me. Just help me. I mean, really. Help me be a dad who is not quick-tempered and impatient. So go with us now. We do that because of the Gospel. Because in the end, we are saved by grace. And grace is the kind of thing we're asking for. So Jeremiah 3.15, would you raise up leaders, shepherds, after your own heart who will guide us in knowledge and understanding. I pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen.